0: We're in Luke chapter 6. We're going to wrap up chapter 6. We're going through verses 39 through 49 this morning. This is going to be at a pretty quick pace. And the reason being is because we've already covered the Sermon on the Mount in our Matthew series. And that's in a lot more depth. So if you want to get more insight into the Sermon on the Mount, you can go into iTunes and and listen to that. So we're just going to kind of fly through this and uh, uh, go through these verses pretty quickly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the people here. And Lord, as we come to worship you, as we come in fellowship with one another and and celebrating in communion, uh, praying, um, opening your word, we ask, Lord, that your spirit is here to impart to us the things you want us to learn from, uh, what to implement in our own lives. And we thank you for this morning that uh, we are... uh, able to gather here freely and uh, of our own choice uh, to go about uh, learning about you in jesus name amen influence could i see by a show of hands how many of you came to know jesus through a a really prominent christian so let's just say like a billy graham or, or 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 some really big or or through reading a book like a really popular author or something like that anybody so we have we have one. How many of you were influenced by someone who no one else would know, like a, a teacher or a, a parent, your parents, your siblings, your whatever? Isn't that amazing? Because so many times we wanna we wanna be the big shot. We wanna be the big guy out there on the stage, the really prominent guy, the the person that oh God uses this guy. But out of all this, all these people here in the bottom here in the balcony, there was one saved by a really that that came to know Jesus through a really prominent person. And the rest of you, your, your parents, your your siblings, your teachers, your whoever, average people, right? Same with me. My my father brought me to to Christ uh, when I was twelve. Uh, I remember sitting at the kitchen table there, that dining table, and we went through our. Or a little prayer there, and he encouraged me to read the Bible and to pray and all this stuff. And it was my dad. So influence—we're all influenced by somebody. Uh, their deeds, their actions—we're all influenced by someone, whether those are positive things or negative things. We're influenced by people. It could be your peers or whatever. And we have this freedom to choose who we want to be influenced by, right? You—you might—you might be. Uh, tempted to go a certain way, but you have the choice to turn the other way. You do not have to be influenced by a certain peer group or a certain group or whatever. You you can decide where you want to go and how you want to be influenced. Now, so when we talk about the most influential people in our life, think about why is it that they were so influential to you? What, what was it that they did that was so influential to you? How did they go about doing things that were so influential to you? And As a Christian, if you are one, where does Jesus fit into that influence spectrum? Where does he lie in there? Now let's just look at the first two verses here. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So Jesus issues a warning here. A warning that... Leaders, teachers, can't lead those who follow them beyond what they've already done, what the, beyond what they already know, beyond what they already have achieved. Right, so, th- so that's true in a lot of things in life, right? So, for instance, like I, I, I help with the Taekwondo ministry where I was picking on Tyler. I cannot lead Tyler past me. I cannot have him test to be past a master. I can only have him come up to where I am. I can't push him beyond that. I can encourage him, but I can't show him myself. I haven't done it. So it's the same as a teacher. Teachers have to go through their degrees and their teaching credentials or whatever, and then they then they can teach. But if they never pass the first grade, they can't teach first grade. And it's the same thing with everything else in life. You know, you can only teach what you know. So, so here we have. Uh, these limits. We're all limited. But in, in our own learning, and when we're looking at the best teachers or we're looking at the best leaders, you know, they all have their faults. They're all people. But in, in learning this, to, to be like Jesus, we need to learn from Jesus. We need to be taught by Jesus. To, to not necessarily count on people, yes, I counted on my dad as a child to bring me, but to, to go beyond my father, to, to be closer to my heavenly father, I have to look to Jesus. And I have to glean from Jesus. I have to learn from him. I have to be taught from him. Now, verses 41 and 42, Why do you you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye couple of the scriptures in last week's message were in regards to judgment and they were in, in regards to condemnation. Now, verses 41 and 42, they point us back to that subject matter. They point us back to judgment and they point us back to condemnation. What, what the plank is in reference to is condemnation. You see, because by, by condemning someone, it, it shows that the kingdom heart is not present in the one who condemns. Condemnation, it blinds us when we're condemning. It blinds us to that other person. We can't see that person. Instead of seeing how things could be and being hopeful and faithful to that person, we see things how they are. So we can't look past that. And then the condemning attitude, it just blinds us there. And then there's no hope in that, right? There's no hope for that person. There's no faith for that person. You just kind of judge and condemn as you see what is in front of you. While God... He has hope for you. He sees beyond that. And yes, when you're in sin and he kind of sees that and he has to deal with that right at the present time and there. But he sees there's a hope for you that he sent Jesus and there is a hope for you because Jesus has made you righteous before a holy God. So for us to clearly see our brother, what do we have to do? We have to rid of the condemnation. And after you're rid of the condemnation, then you can be of some help. So there are times that we as Christians we are really condemning. We're really good at that. So so, so so condemning that we don't realize that we don't realize that we're more of a burden than we are of a help. right When, when, when that condemn, condemnation is there, when that judgment is there, oftentimes we think that we're helping people when, at, when actual, in actuality we're not. Jesus tells us, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. So hypocrite, what does that mean? Hypocrite is a word taken from the ancient Greek. It was used for the word actor. And so later became used... Uh, or referenced to people who practiced deceit, that they weren't real, that they were acting as somebody else, right? So in the New Testament, Jesus uses this word, and he uses this word hypocrite 17 times in the New Testament. So when Jesus used the word hypocrite, the people back in that day, they totally understood, they totally related to what Jesus was saying and what he meant. Why is that? Because theater was pretty popular in this day. This was before television. And so theater is really popular. And the Romans built these amazing theaters, many of them still standing. Beautiful, huge theaters, awesome acoustics. And they featured these theatrical type of entertainments. So when Jesus uses the word hypocrite, it was easy for his audience that was hearing him teach to distinguish between those who acted religiously and those who were truly devout. And so Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Right? So hey, um, guy who's religious on the outside, and you're really good at acting this way, you hypocrite. But you're not transformed on the inside. Um, you need to get that condemnation out of yourself. And then you can clearly see that the... Co- the problem that your brother has isn't actually that big, and but you can actually see him and then you can help him. But you need to remove that big old condemning log that you have in your eye. See, it's not until we've we've uh, matured into a kingdom person who, who doesn't condemn, who doesn't judge, that we can be of help to somebody else. And we are of help because we can actually see clearly. We can see clearly how to help what we have to do in order to help but if you don't remove that you cannot so you're going about it blind and how many of you want to be treated by a blind doctor or a blind dentist that would be really bad there right you don't want to be treated by a blind dentist or a blind optometrist you they need those things they need their eyes right so so you keep in mind that, that I'm talking of condemnation in the form of judging. Not in terms of telling the difference between things. Right? You, now let me clarify between condemnation and assessing things or or sorting things out or evaluating things, like, like picking fruit. Right? You're like, you pick up this fruit it has a big bruise on the apple, and you're like, but I don't want to condemn, so I guess I'll buy you. No that that's different right you are evaluating fruit okay so so keep this in mind now i'm going to use my dentist as an example or my kid's dentist actually because i i think dr kenny is an awesome pediatric dentist the most awesome one i know he lets me play video games in his office and so and i'm not just saying that because we're childhood friends and he's in the South San Francisco area, by the way. So when, when I take my kids in to see Dr. Kenny, most of the time he tells me, um, I'm doing a good job of taking care of my kids' teeth. And I will stop taking care of their teeth when they're older. Right now they're four and a half, two and a half and eight months, so I still take care of their teeth. My youngest one just has two up this way, so it's really easy to brush. And... Um, <clears throat> So when they get to like 16 I'll stop taking care of their teeth. Okay. Um, so Dr. Kenny says, "Hey Albert, good job on brushing your kids' teeth." And he's not just saying that cuz he's my friend. This is him pu- putting on his professional hat. But there are, have been times that he's also needed to remind me that I need to floss their teeth more regularly. I don't floss my own teeth regularly. I floss my So so but, but what Dr. Kennedy is essentially doing is he is judging the condition of my kids' teeth and my kids' gums. He's judging. You're like, oh, you're not supposed to judge. Let me differentiate. He is discerning how I care for, or I don't care for, my children's teeth and their gums. He is examining the health of of my children's teeth and gums so he uses all these tools that he has he uses x-rays and he shows me um, if their gums are inflamed or or whatever By when he's using that mirror thing and he calls me over and he says hey look at this or or he shows me whether there's plaque buildup and he, he asks them if they feel anything when they drink extreme cold things or extreme hot things or when they bite down on things and what textures and he's asking all these questions to make a judgment on their mouth to make a judgment. now in the practice of pediatric dentistry, Dr. Kenny is not being condemning. He's not condemning my kid's mouth. he is doing what he's supposed to do by evaluating the condition of my kids' mouths. So he will tell me if the condition of their teeth and/ or their gums are less than healthy. he will tell me that Dr. Kenny makes this judgment between healthy and unhealthy mouths. Now, Dr. Kenny can move into the realm of condemnation if he had something personal against me or my family or against people who don't take care of their children's teeth or whatever. But that isn't characteristic of a professional in that field. And he doesn't do that. So the point is is that we can't stop discerning what things are or how things are because we want to avoid condemnation or we want to avoid judgment. We have to practice that. Because we are responsible for holding people accountable to their failures. Right? If you are a parent, you hold your child responsible for different things that you expect them to do as a child and as you raise them. Or if you are a manager in a, in a, in a position where you have people that are subordinates and that report to you, you have an, a responsibility to hold them accountable to their performance. And there are different roles where you do this. And so, yes, you praise them and their successes, but you also discuss failures. And it's not condemning. In your role, and if you don't move it into this personal realm, it's not condemnation. So you talk about failures in a way that you don't devalue that person as a child of God. Right? You, you focus on them as a child of God and, and looking at them in that light, But you still have to address the things that are of concern. Behaviors and attitudes, performances and things like that. Now this is really hard to do. Not only to deliver, but also to accept. It's really hard for people to accept this because so often they misinterpret the receiver. Misinterprets what is being told to them. Right? And you can't control that. You can control as much as you want. uh, Only what you can. What you say. How you say it, you can control those things. You can't control how they're going to take it. But sometimes the receiver has this really hard time telling the difference between this negative assessment of what they do, and they take it as a condemnation of who they are. And we have to be careful with that. As Christians, we're called to love everyone. Right? We're accepting of everyone. Whoever comes in here, they are welcome here. We are are to love everyone. We We love sinners. That's why we're a church. That's why we're here. We accept sinners. We want them here. But not their sin. Right? We need to call that out. But that isn't accepted by a lot of people, is it? Because people who are often in their sin, they often they feel that their sin is given a negative appraisal. That what they do or how they do something is negatively appraised. And it's a condemnation of who they are. And they they marry those two things. And they feel that whatever, even if you're evaluating something that I'm doing, you're still evaluating me. And they tie that into themselves. But that's not necessarily true. Right? That's not what's happening all the time. People often tie their person, who they are, to the sin, so that they can actually defend their sin and what they're doing in order to continue living in their sin. And so they want to merge those those two. And I wanted to encourage you as a receiver to not do that. To recognize who you are as a child of God and that your value never changes in that. But there are things that you are doing that aren't necessarily who you are. Don't attach those. Don't merge those to who you are. Because then you are just justifying yourself in your sin. And if you do that, you are manipulating people. Because you are making these excuses as to... That's just who I am or whatever. And you're not willing to kind of like change or look at yourself and possibly that you're wrong. So manipulating others who are appraising your sinful practice by tying who you are to what you're doing so that you are influencing others to approve of your actions. That's manipulation. Now it's important to be able to separate condemnation from discernment, right? We, we need to have discernment. We need to know how to receive it, and we need to know how to give it. But there is no room for condemnation. The value of the person never changes. They are always a child of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then you jump down uh, many verses, down to verses 33 through 35. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And it's about perspective. We've been telling you guys about this course, Perspectives. And that's what it's, a lot of it is about. We all have this certain perspective of how things are. And perspectives allows us to see things in a broader perspective because it brings in other perspectives. And here, when we're how do we look at condemnation? A lot of it is perspective. Right? Why did God send His only Son? And to think back to that, why did God send His only Son? It's back in John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's perspective, right? To look through the perspective of that, he didn't come to condemn the world. So don't go about condemning. And so in the following verses, we're going to look at this morning, Jesus gives us these illustrations to differentiate between those who are just kind of giving lip service or just all talk, and those who are, are actually living the kingdom life and 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 have a kingdom heart, a kingdom rightness to them. Verses 43 and 44. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Now the first illustration that Luke records for us, Jesus is teaching about fruit and trees. So essentially, that our actions speak louder than our words. And now, why does Jesus teach that a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit, or a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit? Because there is proof in fruit. There is a proof, and there is something that is produced, that you can see, that is tangible. There are fruits that are produced in our life, that people can see, that are tangible. Right? Is obedience to God being produced? What type of fruit is your discipleship to Jesus? What is it producing? What are people seeing? What are people uh, able to touch? What are they able to, to smell? What are they able to hear? What are they, all those all those senses? What are they able to gain from you? See, so you, you are only able to produce good fruit, obedience, if you are the person who is capable of producing that type of fruit. Otherwise, you won't produce that fruit. You'll produce something else. So whatever we produce, right? In our character, the person we are, our being, our heart, it shows that fruit, right? All of our actions, what we say, all these different things is how we can examine the type of person that we are. Because figs don't come from thorn bushes. And the type of people that we really are doesn't produce something that we are not. And a disciple of Jesus produces actions that are obedient to God. And those who aren't, they don't. They don't produce that obedience. So what we do reveals the kind of person we actually are. Now sure, we we can fake it at times and we can fool some people sometimes and and pretend and have these facades and act a certain way. But eventually the harvest all this fruit that's coming out from us, it comes around and you don't fool everybody. Sure, you can give somebody a bruised apple and they didn't catch it. But you can't do it all the time and you can't do it to everyone. You can't fool everyone. And so, fruit doesn't hide. right? It, it, by its nature, what is fruit like? In, in, it, in its original nature, what is it like? It wants to be found. Fruit wants to be found. Why is that? Because it wants to reproduce. It attracts insects, it attracts animals, it attracts whatever, it falls to the ground. It wants those seeds inside the fruit to be scattered somehow, some way. It wants to reproduce. That's what a fruit wants to do. Because if it doesn't, it's extinct. It's done. If you don't re- reproduce by its fruit, you're done. So you ever notice how fruit does this? How it makes it possible for that? You ever notice this? The scent. What it looks like. Sweeter fruit tends to be brighter. tends to have more vivid color. It tends to attract people to it more. Right? Like, buy me or eat me or whatever. Or just like, you know, come get me. Right? And the taste of it. Right? You, you don't want the bad fruit. You want one that tastes good. And so everything about fruit is revealing. It wants to reveal itself. It wants to say, like, take a bite of me. I want to reproduce. Right? So it does everything possible so that it has an opportunity to reproduce. So how are we doing as disciples of Jesus? Are we being tasteful or are we being tasteless out there in the world? Are we being attractive to people? Are we terrible? People just don't want any part of us, and when they see us, they're like, whoa, turn around. That one's rotten. You know, how do we look to people how do how do we sound to people how do we treat people all of our all those different senses how are we being like a piece of fruit to those people do they want any part of us or are they running the other way saying i don't want that they taste awful they look awful they smell awful i don't want any of that it's like durian you guys don't know what durian is Who? just thank the lord that you don't know what durian is some of you like it, and I'm sorry I offend you. It's this, like, prickly little thing, right? And it's usually in tropical areas. And if you crack it, it smells like dirty gym socks. And it tastes like dirty gym socks. It has a consistency of a dirty, sweaty gym sock. I want to throw up. Um, <laughs> but some people love it. And they call it, like, God's fruit or something like that. Um, and they love it. But... This is how bad it is. In Singapore, they have these signs with a durian fruit with a sign on it, crossed out. They don't want that in their hotel rooms. And they have these teams that are specifically there to clear out durian odors. Like in case somebody goes in and breaks it up and they have these special vacuums and all this stuff just to... It's like you have to put a deposit down for durian like you do for your pet dog or something. But it's, it's like that. It's, uh, anyway, I'm talking too much about durian fruit. It's just bad memories to me and made me gag and throw it. How are we doing as disciples? Right? Do we, we, are we producing a healthy fruit of ourselves? Or are, are you a healthy disciple bearing fruit that is attractive to people, that people want verse 45 the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaks now while we're looking at fruit what's being done you know what are what are our actions there and people look at that but there's also the evidence within our speech i agree that actions are louder than words but speech can do a lot of things Right? It, it can do a ton of things. Um, several weeks ago, uh, I was preaching a sermon and I said, I said that I don't should on you, so don't should on my kids. Many people interpret that I said manure, <laughs> that I don't manure on you, you know, and, and they took it as I was cussing. I didn't cuss. It's on iTunes. You can listen to it. It's there. And I want to encourage, some of you confronted me on this, and I want to thank you. I thank you for that criticism, and I need to be told when I'm doing things. And, but then there are others that just kind of have left, and hissy fit, whatever, and they never talk to me about it, and I don't encourage that. Talk to me. I'm I'm open. I'm good for that. But there's evidence in our speech. I didn't say that. So if you thought I said that, you dirty minds. Um, If you want a glimpse into someone's heart and into their thoughts, just listen to what comes out of their mouth. Especially when they're unguarded. Especially when they're just kind of out there hanging out with friends or whatever. That's the time. It's not when they're guarded. When they're guarded, they're guarded. And they think about what they say. What, it's more about when they're not thinking, they just talking, whatever. That's when you can tell what, what their heart's really like. That's when you can tell what their thoughts are really like. And so you listen to these unguarded responses right to ask questions and you listen to these unguarded responses you listen to the casual conversations and and what they say that reveals a ton about their heart it reveals it reveals a ton about their thoughts so you ask a casual question like so what's your favorite part about sunday and you can tell where their heart and their thoughts are depending on their answer because if they say football that's where their heart's at that's where their thoughts are at if they say church that's where it's at working on the, on, on the house having a day off uh, our brunch uh, getting together with my family whatever that part is right that's where their heart is that's where their thoughts are or you ask, ask for the following day what's your favorite part about Monday I get to go back to work again <laughs> I get to go back to school That's not true, right? I, I, you, you guys are dreading it. So for students, it's usually not about, oh yeah, I get to go back to my biology class and take my test. I love it. It's not. It's more about I get to see my friends that I didn't get to see on the weekend, and that's where their hearts at. That's where their thoughts are. It's with their friends, right? Or, or for you single guys that work where there's a lot of cute girls or something. I get to see her again. I get to sit next to her and answer phones or whatever. Um, It's not about like, oh, I get to go back to work. It's like, ah, I get to That's where your thoughts are. That's where your heart's at. So you just ask those casual questions, and you can find out a lot about people. That's why when you guys are in dating things, you know, the dating phase, you guys and gals that are in that dating phase, just hang out. And you don't go on formal dates. Why? Because they're guarded. And you don't get to find out where they're really at. Go out to a party with each other. Go out to big groups, and you just observe, and you can hear their language. Like that dude talks nasty. Run away, right? Forget it. Don't don't be with that guy. Or or you can hear a girl, and all she's talking about is like, oh yeah, the my newest makeup and my newest style, and like I like these stores and like this stuff. Unless you're rich, go for it. But if not, you better run right forget it right so you just hang out casual listen observe look at the fruit and stuff if you like what you see keep going then on those unguarded moments yeah keep pursuing if not you better run that's truth right verse 46 why do you call me lord lord and not do what i tell you So when looking at Christians, it's not just looking at people who call Jesus Lord. It's cheap. It's not even about spiritual giftedness, right? This isn't the fruit we are looking at. What is the fruit that we're looking at? You look at the fruit of their life. You look at the the fruit of their heart, of their thoughts, not the fruit of their ministry. You don't look at whether they call Jesus Lord. Lord or whether they are spiritually gifted. That's not what you're looking at. You're looking at obedience. So the fruit we are to look at is whether a disciple who calls himself a disciple of Jesus is actually learning to do what Jesus is teaching them to do, which is best. That's what you're looking at. Living a life of godly obedience. It's not about spiritual giftedness. My fruit's not about that. It's... It's not about the giftings of prophecy, of of teaching, of preaching, of speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, or words of wisdom and knowledge. It's not about that stuff. You look for obedience to God. That's the fruit. It's not about gifting. And you look at the will of God being done in that person's life, and if they are fulfilling that calling in obedience. That's the fruit you look at verses 47 through 49 Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them I will show you what he is like He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock and when a flood arose the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been built well built But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation When the stream broke against it immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now here's Jesus' last illustration comparing people who are all talk and people who are actually doing. All right, Those who hear what Jesus said and, he, and they do it. And, and he said, those people, they're building an indestructible life. And it doesn't mean that you won't face problems. It doesn't mean that you won't face tribulations and trials and floods and all this stuff. You will. Because notice what it says. It says, when a flood arose and when the stream broke. It doesn't say if. It says when. You are going to face problems. You, there's no way around it. When a flood arises, when the stream breaks, but no matter what the problems of life that come your way, you are not going to be totally knocked out of your foundation if you build your life on Jesus. Jesus. Problems, trials, troubles, they are going to come whether you like it or not. And if they don't come, you have to worry. Why? Because there's no rain. There's drought. You will die. You need the rain, you need that water. They will come. And it's just whether you want to deal with them with Jesus or without Jesus. It's easier without Jesus in the short term. It is. I'm telling you the truth. Right? It's easier in that you do what you want. You're not accountable to God. You you just do whatever you want. Right? And but the end result is not good. The long term result is not good. The house you built for yourself it won't stand. It's gonna stand for a little while because the rain's not always constantly there it's not going to stand when it comes. And it's also easier in that you don't have to deal with things that you can kind of procrastinate a little longer without dealing with the real issues that you have. But in the long run, it'll come back. You have to deal with it eventually. You have to deal with it. Now, it's important to point out the difference between admiration and following. Okay? Because tomorrow there's a holiday when we remember Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who was a disciple of Jesus and an activist for civil rights. Now, how many people admire Dr. King and what he did for civil rights, but they don't follow Dr. King and what he did for civil rights? They admire it from afar, but how are you getting involved in it? How many people admire from the sidelines and they're just like, oh, yay, bravo, it's great, and they have this knowledge in their head, but how many people actually get involved in Injustice issues. How many people actually do something about civil rights issues? And so we have the Freedom Summit that we're encouraging people to go to. There's something you can do. Instead of just kind of sitting back and saying, oh, sex sex trafficking of kids, that's terrible. 27 million slaves, more than any other time in world history. That's terrible. I admire those people at the Freedom Summit. I admire those people that are doing something about it. But uh, I'm going to watch TV because I have a holiday. I get a day off. How many people, it's more about just a day off, but they have really nothing to do with Martin Luther King Jr.'s remembrance, what he stood for for civil rights. How many followers are there, really? And I mention this because... We have a lot of admirers who are impressed by Jesus, but they don't follow Jesus. Right? There were many like this who were hearing Jesus preach and teach at this time who were admirers of Jesus. Oh, what a great guy! He heals lepers, he heals paralytics, he can deliver people from their demon possession. He's really cool. Give up all your stuff and follow me. Ah, you can't do that. But what you do is really cool. Right? A bunch of admirers impressed by Jesus. How many actually followed Jesus? Right? You think about that rich young ruler. He couldn't follow. He admired him. He couldn't follow. And many were impressed and many applauded. But how many surrendered their life to follow Jesus? This is what life comes down to, right? It comes to being wholly devoted to Jesus with your entire being or not. And it's really that simple, right? Will you just admire or will you follow? See, admirers can believe in Jesus, actually. Did you know that? As an admirer, you can even go to church And you can serve there. And you can give. And and you can do all these things. But the key thing is surrender. You cannot fully surrender. You you cannot fully surrender control of your own life. You cannot fully give yourself wholly to Jesus. Surrendering things that are difficult for you to let go of. And you cannot. That's the difference between a follower and an admirer. So people... that have this difficult time of letting go of their addiction or letting go of their workaholic attitudes so that they can be with their family more or people who need to cut their sexual relationships outside of marriage. Or stopping these unhealthy ways of how you habitually deal with things, whether it be with anger or, or or some kind of other unhealthy, with the passive aggressiveness or whatever. All these things that you cannot let go of. You want to just hold on to. And But you admire Jesus. You think He's cool. You think church is cool. You want to serve. You want to give. But you are not following Him because you are still stuck in that kind of a life. See, what admirers want to be able to tell God is no. No, God, I want to do it my way. And they admire Jesus and some admire him a lot. They like him a lot. They are faithful in a lot of things. They come to church all the time. They give all the time. They want to do all the stuff. But they are not letting go completely. Because they want enough space so that they can keep living the way that they want to live. And then there are times that the guilt and the shame is just too much, or maybe they really, really, really want to get things right with God, and so they come to church more, or they serve more, or they give more. But without that heart change, all it takes to get back into a vicious cycle of this habitual sin is just the right circumstances. So in church, you're okay. But you go back into that work environment where you're alone, and if you You're back in that hotel room and you're lonely, you're away from your family, and then there's that television and you're like, hmm, I can amuse myself. Or you can call somebody and have an inappropriate relationship. And when no one is watching, you can kind of be yourself. Kind of like that casual talk stuff. You can be yourself because no one's watching. That's the essence of character. Who are you when no one's watching? Who are you when you are alone? But as soon as you get back to an environment that supports your sin, you're just right back in your sin. Because you don't have a heart change. You don't have this transformation, this regeneration within yourself to actually do within your character what the Lord calls us to do. Because Jesus doesn't ask us to be admirers of Him. He doesn't ask for our admiration. He asks us to follow Him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Nothing about admiration. Follow, not admire. Follow. Have you wholly devoted yourself to following Jesus? Not admiring him, not even believing in him. Because the book of James in chapter 2, we're told that even the demons believe. Satan believes in Jesus. I mean, he's fighting against him. How can you? He's not fighting against nothing. Of course, he believes in Jesus. He's just not following him. He's not following him. Are we following Jesus? Are we obedient to Jesus? Now, I know people want more choices than that. That's just what we've bred in our society. We want more choices. It really bothers some people to think, like, Jesus or not Jesus. Oh, come on. There's more than that. And they hate not having more options. But matter of factly, there isn't one. There isn't one. You look at the illustrations we just went over. Okay? There's no third choice in them. Did you notice that? There is no third choice. There's a good tree and there is a bad tree. There is no third tree. Right? There is a good person, and there is an evil person. There is no third person. There is a house built on a solid foundation, and there is a house that is not built on a f- solid foundation. There is no third house. There is no third option. It's Jesus or it's not Jesus. There is no third option. There is no Jeez. Right? Right? Either you allow Him to take your sin, you allow Him to take your, sh- your shame, your guilt, whatever else that can be used against you before a holy God, or you don't. You allow Him to be your advocate, or you don't. Because there's no third option. There's no one else that can take that from you. There's no one else that can make you be righteous before a holy God. There is no third option. And anything that withholds you from a relationship with God, Jesus desires to take that on himself. He wants that. And even if someone else wanted to do that for you, they cannot. There's no third option. He's the only one that can do it. This is where humankind is at. You're in one of two camps. There is no third camp. One camp is for those who follow Jesus. And the second camp is for those who reject Jesus. That's it. There's no third camp. No third tree. No third person. No third house. No third camp. So where are you this morning? And I'm not trying to scare you into a camp. I'm not not doing that. I'm presenting to you just the facts and that you have to make a choice because without a choice, you are picking a camp because there's no third choice. Now, if you don't want to be with Jesus, you can make that decision because if you are scared into the camp just because you're like, oh, I don't want this, whatever, and you don't even know what you want or don't want, you're going to be miserable there. If you don't want to be with Jesus, you're going to be miserable in heaven. It's going to be a terrible time for you. Because that's what essentially heaven is. You're with Jesus. And if you don't want to be there, and you're being drugged there, kicking and screaming, and you're pushed into there for all of eternity, that's really hell. So He gives you a choice. Be with me or don't be with me. It's kind of your choice. Right? and Jesus wants you there he, he does he wants you he wants you to take everything that prevents you from having a relationship with God and he wants to take all of that upon himself you can decide to be in the second camp he's not going to drag you over you can decide that if you want to do that you can do that you can still admire him and whatever it's just you're not following him you can do that he's not going to force you to come over let's pray Lord, thank you for opening up the kingdom of God to us, for providing us, for giving us a provision on how we can enter into a relationship with you. Father, I'd like to pray for anyone here who is not following you. They believe in you, they admire you, but they're not following you. And I pray, Lord, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would equip them to follow you fully, fully, wholly devoted that whatever type of sin is holding them back from fully following you, Lord, that they would be able to break that, that you would give them the courage to let go of things. And Lord, it's not to say that we are sinless people and that we are perfect and we move about things perfectly, but we know there are some habitual sins in our life that we have been plaguing us for a long time that we can't shake. And we ask, Lord, that you would help remove those things that you would help us to build our house on a solid foundation, knowing that when trials and tribulations come, that that house still stands, Lord, that you are still there, that what you've told us remains true for eternity. Now, for anybody here who does not know Jesus and you want to accept him into your life, you can repeat this prayer with me. And you just say it in faith. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for removing my sin from me and making me presentable to a holy God. I ask for your Holy Spirit to be with me and to help me navigate these next steps in this spiritual journey. In Jesus' name, amen.